Minnesota may be the most fun we've had watching basketball all year. But there are still some issues, and head coach Steve Clifford brought them up after the game. We'll get to those. We talk more Hornets before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. You are locked on Hornets. You are locked on, locked on, locked on Hornets. Your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Hornets. It's Hornets Talk for the Hardcore Fan. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in BEA beautiful Uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, David Walker. The master of the emoji, Doug. I think that's appropriate to add to my title. I like that. Yeah, it's a good reminder. If you haven't uh, checked out the episode of Locked on Hornets Live that was supposed to stream live, but, you know, things happen. Internet goes down. Different things happen. We weren't able to stream it live, but we were able to record the show and put it up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Locked on Hornets. If you haven't had a chance to see that yet, make some time. Uh, it's evergreen. You can you can check it out. We didn't really talk about that Minnesota Timberwolves game. We were more talking big picture stuff, but we did a segment called Emoji Wars. Uh, we saw producer Katie recreate the Golden State Warriors mom dance. Classic. And we had our question of the show, which was an important one. May have been somewhat answered last night, but who's going mm-hmm. to be the Hornets' third scoring option? And if they don't have one, what should they do about it? A lot of interesting trade talk in there as well. Oh, so gosh. please, again, check that out, youtube.com forward slash Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back live next week. We'll, we'll get these tubes connected and uh, make sure we're streaming that live there on the YouTube channel. So if you haven't subscribed to it yet, uh, please do. And a reminder, too, to the uninitiated, we are delivering shows to you week daily, Monday through Friday, and delivering Hornets news to you when you need it. You can listen to it on your way to work, on your way back from work. We're recapping, we're previewing, and we're also uh, doing some big interviews and and talking big picture stuff as well. So go to iTunes, subscribe to us, just search Locked on Hornets. We are part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Go Go to iTunes and search Locked on as well, and you'll find podcasts on the NFL, golf, fantasy sports we're adding new podcasts seemingly every week it's the fastest growing podcast network in the world all right david let's go to minnesota where i think we witnessed the most fun hornets game this season it was the most fun to watch for sure it was a back and forth affair that was very familiar to you if you've been following along all year something seemed very familiar about it first of all you had kimball walker starting off the game a uh, hot six of seven from the field for 12 points in the for- first quarter. But defense from either team was at a premium. The Wolves go on an 18 to five run to end the first half and lead the Hornets 58 to 46. But David, I believe it was the book of Psalms that said, weeping may endure for a half, but joy, joy comes in the third quarter. Led by a barrage of scoring from Kimba Walker, Nick Batum, and Cody Zeller, the Hornets outscore Minnesota by nearly 20 points in that frame. It was back and forth in the fourth quarter, but the Hornets hold on for the victory, 115-108. to David, this was quite a ball game. Doug, at some point, I guess we're going to have to talk about these holes that the Hornets keep finding themselves in. I think they lead the league in some... And- 
you know, wins after being down by 10 or more points. And they were in that position again last night. Being down 14, I think, was the most. Um, to me, the biggest issue throughout the game was rebounding. I mean, they could not corral some of those key defensive rebounds and let the Wolves get some more shots up. But, I mean, you're exactly right. That was a fun game to watch. You knew that third quarter run was coming, or at least you were hoping so, because they certainly needed it. And, I mean, Kimball was... Kimball was awesome again. You you look up, you used to look up and he'd have 20 points. Now you look up and he's got 30. Yeah, he ends the game. 30 points, six assists, five rebounds, five steals, David. He's yeah. he's so much more not attentive. I don't think attentive is the right word. It's just he's he just seems like he's seen things uh more often and he's just more comfortable. Things have slowed mm-hmm. down on the defensive end for him. Uh, five steals there on the game on 63% shooting, 12 of 19 from the field. He is the Hornets' alpha dog. He's the one that the Hornets are looking to for scoring. And then off the bench, Frank Kaminsky, David, a guy that we um, we were kind of on his case. We were on his case. We, and we, were, we were talking about him a lot in the last episode, in the Wolves preview episode mm-hmm. that aired on Tuesday. And then uh, the Dunked On podcast guys, Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue, they were talking about Frank Kaminsky and some of his struggles. Well, 20 points, 8 of 14 from the field, 3 of 7 from beyond the arc, and uh, he adds 4 rebounds and 5 assists. And more importantly, David, you had him getting some trust from the coach, Frank Kaminsky playing, I believe, the entire fourth quarter. He he, he took, earned it. He earned it, and he took some minutes away from Marvin Williams, who I'm sure mm-hmm. was fine with it. He's, <laughs> I mean, that guy, you know, he could he could stand to have a little rest here now and then. And he was having a little bit of an off night. He was one of nine from the field. So just you see Clifford there reading the hot hand, maybe reading the cold hand of Marvin Williams, and at least for a game saying, okay, Frank, show us what you got. Yeah, so let's talk about Frank a little bit because he did hit some threes. I mm-hmm. finally got some of those to go down. I don't know if that opened it up for him or made him more comfortable. But where he was really killing the Wolves, especially in that fourth quarter, 12 points in that fourth quarter period, I believe. <laughs> fourth quarter period. Uh, fourth quarter, Doug. And he kept the Hornets you know, out in front um, pretty much by himself until the starters came back in and joined him. And he was taking guys off of the dribble. And I think maybe hitting some of those threes – you know, caused those guys to hesitate, but he took um, Adrian Payne off the dribble. He took Andrew Wiggins off the dribble, which Thibodeau can enjoy seeing that. I mean, Frank's bigger than Wiggins, but Wiggins certainly has him in the quickness category. Um, and the Wolves' defense as a whole is an issue. Um, as we mentioned the other day, they're, they're not locking down like you would expect to see a, a Thibodeau team do. So he was getting into the lane and really showing some of that uh, agility, you know, making the move going left and then getting in the lane and, and stopping and hitting some of those floaters because Cole Aldridge or, or someone would step up. And oftentimes you'll see a guy, especially a young guy, you know, charge in there and get an offensive foul. But I mean, his touch around the basket was nice last night. And you mentioned earning trust, you know, late in the game, he would be switched on to Rubio and Batum told Frank to go down into the post and he fed him and he got an and one for a three point play. So, um, you know, maybe that is the beginning of what we're seeing for for a third option. But just for last night, I mean, a fantastic game from Frank Kaminsky, bouncing back from a tough game in Cleveland. What surprised me, David, is is how the Wolves reacted to Charlotte deciding to leave Frank Kaminsky there in the fourth quarter. And I don't know whether this was by design 
from Tom Thibodeau's perspective or whether maybe this was the, the, the fact that you have a young guy in Carl Anthony Towns down low. But in that fourth quarter, uh, the big cat took six shots from beyond the arc. And we yeah, know he's we yeah. know he's a good three point shooter, but he was matched up against Frank Kaminsky, and and uh-huh. Kaminsky hasn't really shown an ability to alter a shot down low. And for for Carl Anthony Towns not to get one post look in the fourth quarter, this was a back and forth close fourth quarter where where a bucket could have steadied or or got Minnesota back into the game in, in various spots. For him not to get a post look was very odd to me. It's And they were trying to, you could see, they were definitely trying to get Frank Kaminsky switched on to guards to, to try to take him off the dribble because he hasn't shown that ability uh, defensively. But I feel like they sort of, maybe just the fact that, that Steve Clifford altered his lineup a little bit, maybe shook the Wolves to a certain extent, and they tried to maybe outs- they outsmarted themselves in that defensive matchup. And and I, you know, if I were the Timberwolves, I would have just given given Cat the ball down low, let him post up Frank and go to work. And that's not what happened. Yeah, that's got to be some of the lack of experience, right, from the core group there. <clears throat> I mean, you would expect someone like Rubio though to take a little charge there and put. Uh, big cat down low. I was going to ask you about that because you look at the box score. He shot 10 three-pointers mm-hmm. in that game. And, I mean, yeah, he can shoot him. And, actually, he did hit some late. And I know they're trying to shoot a lot more threes. But, I mean, you just you nailed it, right? Like, a tight game down the stretch. You kind of need a basket. You've got a mismatch there. He's going to have a mismatch against just about anyone in the league down low, even being as young as he is. So, I'm sure that's something they'll look at, but I mean, if I'm opposing teams, I'm, I might let him shoot 10 three-pointers in a game, at least at this point in his career, right? Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, the, the Timberwolves were 15 of 35 from beyond the arc. That's good for 43%, yeah. um, but they didn't def- defend the three very well. The Hornets uh, knocking down 11 of 24, they were 46% from beyond the arc, and the field goal percentages uh, for both teams was probably unacceptable, 40, 43% for the Timberwolves and 54% for uh, the Hornets. Um, Some things to work out still defensively and really in rebounding, I think, as well. This is the second straight game that the Hornets have been out-rebounded. I want to get to that in a second, though. I was getting ahead of myself because I want to talk about some of the good things that happened as well. I thought this was a great game for Nick Batum. Five of nine from the field, 16 points, seven assists, five rebounds. He adds three steals. The Hornets, especially early on, were very good with turning uh, Minnesota over and and scoring buckets off those turnovers. Uh, But great game from Nick Batum. And I thought, David, this is the first game from Nick Batum that we've seen a a ton of passion. I mean, he was angry at different parts in this game. This is the first time we've seen that since maybe the Philadelphia game. Yeah, shooting angry, right? I mean, I mentioned to you that I've never, like, when he is in that mode, I mean, he did a pull-up three on a fast break. And that, I, that, I no, you have I, to mention that De- if you were watching along on the broadcast, Dell was sort of saying that the, the offense was impatient. And, and as he was, he was like, the offense is impatient. They're just, you know, pulling up and, and taking a three before the offense gets set. Literally, as Dell is saying that, Nick Patum goes up the court and pulls up in transition and knocks down the three. So uh, this yeah. is 2016 is just the year of punditry and that goes for us too because we talk about we get on frank's case on the last show and he and he splashes 20 so this is this is definitely the year of punditry (laughs) 
Well, and also uh, Bellinelli, I think we should mention him too. He hit some big threes. And I was thinking during that stretch there, I mean, they're going to have to put that, you know, that offensive punch off the bench together by committee, as we mentioned a little bit on the show last night, to make up for like a guy like Jeremy Lin. I mean, some of the shots were Lin-like from Bellinelli, just in their, you know, uh, level of difficulty and the quickness with which he released them. But Bellinelli has been pretty solid when he's been in those games this year. And if he can provide some of that scoring punch, uh, that's going to be a big help. But yeah, I mean, Batum, you can tell there's a, there's a noticeable difference. You can tell when he is locked in and he wants to affect the game. Not that he's taking plays off or anything, but I mean, you can see it on his face. And you could see it too, Doug, in his defense. And, and, I, don't, and I just wanted to ask you about this because he was matched up on Wiggins for – a portion of that game and he was getting a little handsy. I mean, he was, he was mm-hmm. up in his Jersey and yeah. he got, and he got caught. He got caught a couple of times, um, which is fine. Um, one of them was down low. That was kind of a scrum that, that was kind of an odd call, but he was definitely bodying him up and trying to affect him with MKG out of the game. So um, I don't know if that's, I don't know what, I don't know what to make of that difference in aggressiveness. If, if the offense feeds it, if it's just, you know, knowing what he needs in the game, but he fills up the stat sheet. I mean, where, how do you take that? Because well, okay, so think about David. If you're Nick Batum, okay, and and you probably you probably enjoy to some extent not not having to guard the best player on the opposite team every night because sure. it allows you to uh, stay energetic and and stay focused on the offensive end, which is where honestly the Hornets really need him to be focused and energetic, and uh, you know to 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 dish out those assists that we know he's so good at. Okay, so you don't have to do that, but at the same time, when you have an opportunity to go one on one with a player in Andrew Wiggins, who his game it, it offensively is very similar to Nick Batum's because. Wiggins likes to back you down, hit that turnaround jumper on the baseline. He can hit threes. Uh, Nick Batum, a better three-point shooter than Andrew Wiggins, but Andrew Wiggins can pull up and hit the shot. I mean, the games are very similar, okay? So I think when when Nick Batum, he was looking in the mirror a little bit and saw a challenge, saw someone that that plays like him, and, and he aimed to shut it down. And, and again, I think... And there was some chippiness too. There were some calls that the Hornets were not uh, pleased with the officiating pretty much the entire game. I think that probably had a lot to do with it as well. But yeah, I just think, you know, you see this. You see this throughout the season and you saw it in the playoffs as well. Generally, Nick Batum a little lax on on the defensive end and he, he relies maybe a little too much on his physical tools to make a play, and if he can't make that play, then then he gets burned on defense. But we've seen an ability when when he really locks in to be a great defender. It just it's just not something he does game to game, and that's that's less of a problem when you have Michael Kidd Gilchrist next to you. Yeah, and speaking of MKG, it's starting to look like if he's going to contribute in the offense, it's just going to be completely organic within the flow of the game. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't tell night to night what you're going to get, and you really have to count on getting nothing, in my opinion. Um, you know, what do you have last night? Six or so? Eight yeah, rebounds? Six, six points, two of five from the field. Uh, missed, I don't think he Missed hit. a couple of bunnies, too. Yeah, and I don't think he made any of his, his jump shots. Six rebounds. Yeah, it was a it was a quiet game from Michael that uh, thirty three minutes, but he played you know he played outstanding defense as yeah. as usual yeah. when he was out there. 
uh, locked down, uh, locked down Wiggins a few times. But yeah, it, I mean, I tweeted out his shot chart coming into the game. It's not good. Uh, I mean, he's shooting about league average at the rim, um, and then everything else is uh, offers or you know hit a shot here and there. But um, I don't know. I don't know if it's. I mean, he's aggressive. I mean, he took again. He took the first shot of the game. You know, he's <laughs> or he tried to. He traveled, but there were a lot of travel calls in this game. But he, you know, he's. I don't know if there's a confidence issue. I don't. I don't really know if if any of that's going on. But um, because we not ha- to the ex- not well, not to the extent it was early in his career. No, and we like, haven't like, seen. That's the thing. We haven't seen like he had a two for five game, but he we haven't seen that consistently. He's been at times um, aggressive, and and we'll see him put up ten shots, and at times mm-hmm. we see him go two for five. So I think you're exactly right. I think right now. He's playing in the flow of the game, and hopefully you see that jump shot improve because ultimately the Hornets, you know, they scored 115 tonight, so it's hard it's hard to find issues with the offense at this time. But I think when you play a team that is that can take away Kemba, that can take away Nick Batum, um, you you you're going to find some issues with with having a guy in Michael K. Gilchrist on the floor that that can't really produce offensively. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Doug. Okay. Does this team make sense? Because <laughs> I think I think a lot of people look at this team, especially on offense, and they look at the pieces. And even though Clifford is starting to get the recognition that uh, he deserves as being a great coach in the league, and even though Kimball Walker is playing at a, a superstar uh, level, uh, certainly a star level, that's still like, how are these guys scoring 115 points a game? You know, how are they four and one on the road? Um, the big difference to me is is they're beating these teams that they should beat, which they haven't done in the past, which good teams do. But I think a lot of people look at this who don't watch them every night and say, how, how are they doing that? Well, and I think part of that is the fact that, okay, so take a look at Minnesota's box score, and you see Andrew Wiggins' 24 shot attempts, Carl Anthony Towns' 23 shot attempts, Zach Le- uh, Levine' 16 shot attempts. It's clear what their offensive game plan is. It's clear who the ball is going to pretty much at all times. You know the the two or three things that they're looking for, okay? Now, swing on over to the, the Hornets box score. Kimball Walker, 19 field goal attempts. Frank Kaminsky, 14 field goal attempts. That's it for double digits. Everything is getting spread out offensively. This team is sharing the basketball. And it really is, it's a pick and roll flow offense. The ball is 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 not necessarily looking for one or two things in particular. It's just looking for an open shot. It's just looking for an open lane to drive. That's that's why I think it's tough to understand right now because other than Kimball Walker, there really isn't a, um, a set of a set of moves or a set of plays that's like okay, that's what they're trying to do in this particular instance. Other than you know running pick and pops for guys like Frank Kaminsky. And 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 different shooters and Marvin Williams as well, trying to find him uh, after driving. But I think that's it. I mean, there's it's just not a lot of dominant offensive players on this team. They're just they're playing together now on the defensive end. I think this is what we have to talk about because this is what Clifford talked about in his post game. The he mentioned this. The Hornets. Every team has strength and strengths and weaknesses. The Hornets are naturally skilled. They have high basketball IQ. It allows them to share the basketball. It allows them to play within the flow and find open shooters. But 
they lack a natural physicality on both ends, I think. And when I say natural physicality, I mean the thing that Andrew Wiggins gives you. The thing that, you know, if Carl Anthony Towns would bother to play outside or play inside the three-point arc, it's what he gives you. It's what Zach Levine gives you. They don't really have that. Uh, they're, they're not naturally skilled at being physical, especially on the boards. You've seen them now yeah. two straight games getting out-rebounded. And, you know, Clifford was blunt. He said, look, we're not naturally skilled at those things, which means it's not a given that they're going to get out-rebounded. It just means they have to give more of themselves than the other team naturally would give. Uh, and, and that And I look at a play like... Uh, when Gorgie Jing got a pretty serious dunk on Cody Zeller, it's because Jing is naturally gifted and naturally athletic and naturally huge, and and he pushed, he got first contact and and sealed off Cody Zeller, and and got a clean catch and was able to to slam it home. That's a kind of play where Zeller has to make that first contact, make sure that he doesn't get sealed off for for that type of play or get a, or if that play misses that you're not that you're not out rebounded. So th- yeah. those are the kind of things that Charlotte has to focus on if they want to beat cuz you they had enough skill to beat Minnesota. They're not going to have enough skill to beat an Atlanta team that has Dwight Howard healthy. That's not a given. Dwight Howard may miss on Friday. We'll we'll keep you updated on that. But they don't have enough skill to beat Atlanta. They've they've got to be more physical. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think they're playing their skill level right now is, is playing at such a high level, but it's not, but, but I, it's I, not consistent. That's the thing, mm, but you know, right. the, the effort you can give consistent effort, but you, but I think that skill is, is shooting is something that's going to, to wax and wane. But if you don't give that consistent sure. effort, then Especially, they're going to get two days of rest, so they have no excuse going into Friday. Friday's a huge. Yeah, that, Friday's a huge matchup. Oh, huge game, huge game, and the type of player that you mentioned, you know, who's just gifted with you know a little extra physical know-how. I mean, they have that guy. It's it's MKG or the most or the guy that's most like that, but he's playing from the small forward slot, right? Which is why you see him, you know, leading the league in rebounds um, at that position. So. Um, they're big guys is really where they lack it. And so you're right. I mean, Clifford harped on it after the game. That's just something they have to pay special attention to in areas that other teams don't. But um, I like hey, that. I like uh, that. I like that. You're the calm voice. I, I have to take a sip. Of, I have to take another sip of tea. I got really excited there. I'm, I'm battling this. <laughs> I'm battling this thread thing. And, well, uh, I got well, I got really well, passionate there. So uh, in the Jazz game, one thing I noticed was there was a lot more of a group effort to to get some of those rebounds when a guy in Rudy Gobert is in the game, and you're not going to find someone in the league who's longer or more difficult to rebound, you know, around or over than Gobert, in my opinion. I mean, he he's as uh, as long as they get, so they can do it, um, and they they made a concerted effort to do it in that game. They just haven't the last two games. Um, at least not in the first half, and even in the second half, they're having struggles. But you know, this, you mentioned the third quarters. There's an, a clear difference in energy and concentration coming out of the halftime. For for whatever reason, they're able to put the pedal down uh, in that third period and, and be more effective. 
All right, well, the Hornets are now 7-3, and three, their first 10-game stretch. Uh, definitely tomorrow I want to take a look at the past 10 games and make some evaluations because that was the big marking point for even head coach Steve Clifford was let's get 10 games in and then make some make some determinations. The Hornets are now 4-1 and one on the road. That will be an important stat moving forward. Uh, I want to get to this question that we got from Alan to end the show. But first, I have to tell you about this. We mentioned the Dunked On podcast earlier on, and you heard it yesterday. If you listened to yesterday's episode, we played a clip. Well, Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue are the host of that show, and you may know Danny from Locked On Warriors as well. You might you might also be frustrated with the surface-level analysis of traditional NBA studio shows. Well, Nate Duncan, Danny LaRue, the Dunked On podcast guys, they're giving you an alternative. Twitter has asked Danny and Nate to do live streaming halftime and postgame shows. This is incredible. This is awesome. Starting this Wednesday with Warriors Raptors and Clippers Grizzlies, if you've been missing advanced stats, play-by-play breakdowns, and salary cap expertise in your NBA studio shows, because they don't exist in those shows... The Twitter NBA show is your antidote. You can tune in for the first edition at halftime of Warriors Raptors. Follow Nate Duncan on Twitter and Periscope at Nate Duncan, D-U-N-C-A-N, NBA, to get an alert about when the next generation of basketball analysis goes live. That's exciting stuff. It's exciting for our industry. They do daily podcast. We do daily podcast. It's uh, it's really cool stuff. Okay, let's get to this question from Alan. Alan first writes, wow, that was a fantastic win. I'm pretty sure that Frank must have heard Eric Collins describe one of his floaters as, quote, a leathery teardrop, which made him to- turn into <laughs> Super Frank. Well, maybe he listens to the show, David. I, I hope not, because he, uh, he might not talk to us ever again. All right, here's his I quote. had his back. I had his back some. I had his back a little bit. A little bit. All right. A little bit. Uh, here's Alan's question. Having having, be, having beaten only one of the other top eight teams in the East thus far uh, and losing to three of them, will a close loss on Friday mean something deeper or are we still on the right track? So the Hornets playing at home against the Atlanta Hawks, uh, one of the, the, the second place team in the East now that uh, Toronto dropped one to Cleveland. Uh, will that will that mean something if they lose another close one to Atlanta, or are we still giving them the benefit of the doubt here in November? I think this game Friday has a little bit different tint to it than the other two did. One, it's Atlanta, which if you're going to have a rivalry game with as a Hornets fan, I think you guys would agree it's got to be the Atlanta Hawks. Um, well, yeah, would you, would you say Atlanta or Miami, Doug? Well, this year it's going to be Atlanta because Miami yeah, yeah, is, year, Miami yeah, is two and eight, and they're quickly uh, taking themselves out of it. So anyway, yeah, um, but no, and, and I think they're more on the level of the the Hornets, which is to say, I think there's a jumble group after Toronto and Cleveland that is trying to fight to see who's going to come out on top. So I think this game is huge. I would not feel as as good about a close loss in this one as I did uh, the other two games. And as a matter of fact, if if this one is more important of a win, I think uh, for this team's early season momentum. Yeah, I agree. I think they have to put more emphasis on this game because it is a divisional game. And, and though we think divisions don't matter, it mattered last season when uh, the Hornets and the Miami heat were locked in a playoff battle. And it, it, it meant that, um, Miami or or the the Hornets really didn't have a shot in any of the tiebreakers because of their 
divisional record, so I think it's important in that aspect. But I think it's important because, look, they, they took away lessons from Toronto. They took away lessons from Cleveland, and they're getting healthier. I mean, we've, we've, we're getting word that Jeremy Lamb could be available for this game against the Hawks. It's not a done deal yet, but he could be. So you don't have that excuse. They're in a rhythm offensively. They have some things to work out defensively and and in rebounding. But here's the big point, and I don't want to get too far deep into a uh, a preview of this game because we're going to have that for you on Friday. But the the Atlanta Hawks are leading the league in turning teams over. They're, they they play intense, aggressive defense. And the Hornets lead the league in not turning the ball over. So this is a clash of of styles here. And, and I think it's important for the Hornets to be able to execute their game plan. And again, you prove that you can play the elite teams in the East close. Now it's time for the Hornets to prove with the healthy roster that they can go out and beat them. So yes, if they lose close... I will start to wonder because again, it's only November, but I think yeah. you start to wonder about is does this team have enough? I think it'll mean more for the trade deadline, honestly, than the playoffs. Because I think you start to wonder does this team have enough to beat the elite teams in the East? And a lot of people are looking at that, right? Like a lot of people are looking at this week and next week, this group of games, as to say, okay, let's let's see what this Hornets team really is. I mean. We, we picked out kind of last week in this run of Jazz, Toronto, Cavs, but this run coming up, uh, this road trip, and I think they've what, got like five games in eight days or something like that. So um, they're playing some better teams. They're playing some teams that they're going to be matched up against come playoff time for position. So I agree. I mean, it's, it's a huge game. And it is November, but uh, this is a game that you really want to see the Hornets get the, get the win. All right, thanks for hanging with us for another edition of Locked on Hornets. Definitely subscribe on iTunes. Just search Locked on Hornets and join us tomorrow because we're going to be looking back at these 10 games and giving you uh, our big takeaways from from this first mini stretch of the Hornets season. And we're also going to take a look at some big picture stuff in the NBA as well. We'll look at the standings and try to make some some determinations and give you some thoughts there. And then Friday, we're going to have our big preview of this Hawks game. Don't miss a single episode. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hornets. Subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a five-star review. Help hardcore Hornets fans just like yourself find this podcast. If you have a question like Alan, Alan, by the way, thank you for the question. Great question. Awesome. Shoot us your Hornets questions, your thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Go to YouTube slash LockedOnHornets and and check out our live episode. It was a ton of fun uh, and and you'll laugh, I promise, and you'll, you'll learn something about the Hornets. Let's swarm Charlotte. So